What's going on, Evolve Mastery family? It's your host, Princeton Clark, and I'm going to welcome you guys to this segment of Mastery 360. And guys, I'm excited, as always, to sit down and introduce you guys to so many amazing people. And today, I have my special guest, Tony Watley from 365driven.com. I'm really excited to introduce you guys to Tony, but just to give you guys a little idea of who this man, who this powerful source of inspiration and world change is, Tony Watley became known as the side hustle millionaire after his book with the same title became a number one bestseller on Amazon, but this book title isn't just fiction. It is based on his actual story. Tony once led a successful corporate career for over 25 years, but that is less interesting than the side hustle business that he created, which generated millions in profit. As an active entrepreneur himself, he still owns a few businesses, but his real passion is teaching entrepreneurs how to start, scale, and sell their businesses with his podcast and consulting brand, 365 Driven. I'm really excited to have Tony on the show today, and man, you guys are going to see why I love him so much. But without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and jump into this interview with Tony. So I hope you guys are ready. Buckle your seatbelts because it's going to be an exciting ride. Let's dive in. What's going on, guys? Here we go. We are live with Tony Watley on the Mastery 360 segment of the Evolve Mastery podcast. And as I said in the introduction, guys, this is one of the most powerful and influential people that I've had an opportunity to connect with in this past year. The way that he's showing up in his life, the way that he's showing up in his business, the way that he's showing up in his relationships, it's truly a level of mastery that I think a lot of people are seeking in their lives. So I thought it not, I thought it to, to be very wise to bring him on this podcast to share this stage and this space with him and to also introduce you guys to someone that I know is making a difference in the world because he made a difference in his own world first. And that's where it always starts, guys. You know, I always say you can't make a change in the external world until you make a change in the internal world. And we all have our own journeys, you know, that take us there. But I'm excited for this conversation and uh, we're going to go ahead and dive right into it. Tony, how's it going, man? Good to have you here. Hey, Princeton, thanks for this opportunity, man. And you're one of the most inspiring people I've met in the last year. And I'm glad we got to connect and share some dialogue and go back and forth and have some ideas. But here we are on the show. And I hope that your audience gets some value from this episode. Hey, man, I'm grateful to have you here. And I know they'll definitely get value. You know, and as I typically start, you know, this this segment of the podcast, I always ask the question, you know, we see where where Tony has come, where he's grown to, but where did that journey of self-mastery and life mastery begin for you? You know, when was that that moment when you said, okay, I'm not where really where I want to be in my life and it's time to make a difference? You know, when did that start for you? It's funny that you said that phrase, I'm not where I want to be. Mm-hmm. That that very short sentence is actually one of the things that guided my entire life, even going back to childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, for for context. Grew up lower middle class. My mom worked in the public schools as a cafeteria worker, Japanese immigrant. I was born in Japan on a military base. My dad, Vietnam veteran, U.S. Marine, came back over after the war. He worked in chemical refineries, construction labor, you know, his, his entire life. Mm-hmm. And 
we didn't have money. So we lived in literally what we would call flip houses today. We'd buy the crappiest house in the crappiest neighborhood in a town that had a good school system so that my sister and I could get a good education, even though we could barely afford to live in those, those, those towns. And we would live in the house and we would restore the house and little by little, and then become one of the nicer houses on the street. And then we'd sell it and get a little bit bigger house. Well, I did that three times throughout my entire school. Right. And there was no allowance in the Watley household. We weren't going to get toys and, and free things. So it was basically, if I wanted to get you know, video games or BMX bicycles or skateboards, I had to go figure out how to make money. And so I was that 10-year-old that was knocking doors and mowing yards and walking dogs and raking leaves and washing cars and doing whatever I could, because that's how I was able to fund myself. So it was always the, the fact that you said, I'm not where I want to be, or I'm not, I don't have what I want to have. Mm-hmm. And I even remember mowing some neighbor's yard streets away and my friends would ride their bicycles by and be laughing at me because I'm mowing some stranger's yard, right? They knew where I lived mm-hmm. and, and I didn't care because I said, oh, hey, if I'm going to go ride bicycles with you later, I have to be able to have a bicycle. And <laughs> you know, so I've always been okay with doing what it takes to get what I want and be who I, who I want to become. And largely that's a testament to my parents because my mom very much encouraged that. My dad did as well. So yeah, even through my entire life, that, that phrase of I'm not where I want to be has shown up many, many times. Yeah. And, you know, it, it says a lot about your character, you know, early on and, and, and how you were raised as well, you know, to value what you have, to take what you have and turn it into something of value, even though it may not be the best, it may not be comfortable. You do what you got to do to make it work. And, you know, it showed up even as a child and it's followed you, you know, even into your corporate career. And then, you know, as you were leaving the corporate career, you know, really just stepping into your own thing. And it's amazing because you look at these these different lives of people. You know, there's one kid who grew up in the same situation, didn't have everything, but he didn't have the parents, you know, that were guiding him, that was showing him, giving him that example. And in some cases they did have the parents, but they ended up going a completely different route, you know, whether it's gangs or drugs or maybe alcoholism or whatever it is, hanging out with the wrong crowd. You know, but something in you prompted you earlier in life to say, you know what, if I want something, I got to go out and get it. And and that's powerful because when we talk about mastery, you know, I always say mastery is about surrendering to your power, your potential and your purpose and giving yourself completely to what's possible. You know, most people aren't willing to do that and they wonder why they struggle, why they keep creating the same reality over and over and over again, not realizing that that reality is going to keep bringing the lessons that are challenging them to evolve, that are challenging them to show up for themselves. And, you know, so I'm excited, man, to dive deeper into this conversation, you know, and so. You started off as a kid, you know, really working to get what you wanted because you felt like I'm not where I want to be. And, you know, so you grew up, you ended up working in the corporate space for a while, and then you decided to make a powerful decision to leave the corporate space, to start building your own brand, building your own business, to create the life that you truly wanted. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, this is another odd one that kind of goes back to that last segment. Uh Uh-huh. I put myself through school. I got an engineering degree. I went to University of Houston. It took me seven years. I started working construction at age 18, just like my dad. And that's how I paid for school. I went to school at night, taking one to two classes a semester. That's why it took so long to finish. But here's the thing. That was my period of my life that I would say was the 24-7 hustle and grind because I was literally working full time in the sun. And then I would go to school at night after getting a short nap in the morning, I'd go back early and go do it again. So I did that for a seven-year period. And when I got out of school, 
I was getting home at 4.30 in the afternoon with my big boy salary engineering job. You know, I was probably making 45000 a year at that point, entry level, right? And that wasn't was bad like, back then, though. No, and, and, and I was sitting around and I was like, so what do I do for the rest of the evening? Do I just go hang out at the bars with my friends? Do I go do some stupid stuff? Do I watch TV? Do I just relax? Like, and the answer to that, nothing seemed appealing like that. So I was like, why don't I go try to figure out how to get what I want to become where I want to be, go where I want to be. And what does that mean? So here I was with an engineering degree in my late twenties, putting on the apron to go back and wait tables at the restaurant that I was working at while I was working part-time going to school at the time. So sometimes the people that actually worked in the engineering factory that I was a part of, they would come in and they would see me waiting tables. And I say, Tony, what are you doing here? You know, you're an engineer. Like these guys are factory workers, right? And they're like, you're an engineer, man. You, you have a salary job. Why are you here, man? And I would just smile at them and said, hey, I'm, I'm doing this because I have time to do it and I'm not where I want to be. So see how that sentence keeps coming back? Mm-hmm. I'm not where I want to be. So if I could figure I can get off of the couch and go make 100, 150 bucks extra a night. And I did the seven nights a week. I didn't do it like part time. Mm-hmm. I did seven nights a week. And that's how I was able to start doing things. And I started realizing, yeah, I'm trading my time for money. And that's a thing that we grew up with thinking that time equals money, money equals time. And that's all a bunch of BS that's you know, instilled upon us by our society, our parents, or, or authoritarian people. It's just like time is money. Well, I got to go make money. So I got to go trade more time. And I started realizing that I was wearing myself out by doing that. Mm-hmm. I started thinking about maybe I need to start something with business. Maybe I need to do something that I can maybe figure out how to get paid while I'm asleep or I'm on vacation. I don't have to be there physically. And yeah. you know, initially that started out with me designing a little circuit board to, to make 10 extra horsepower for Chevy Camaros and Corvettes, right? This little plug and play thing that fooled the computer with some resistors and things I learned in engineering school, right? Huh? But even then, dude, that's the hand-built widgets that we see a lot of times on Etsy and stuff. It's a hand-built widget. I would get home from work I'd bust out my little circuit boards and wires and soldering thing. And I'd hand build these things and it would take me about an hour to build each piece and I can make a profit of about $30 each. So it's like, okay, that replaces the waiting tables income, $30 a piece, three of those a day. I can make a hundred dollars a day at home, right? Cool. Like that's a, that's the next step. A lot of people get into that, the hand built stuff, but again, you're still trading units of dollars for a time and you're not really getting a scalability factor because you're literally having to sit there at the kitchen table for three hours doing something, whether it's hot glue or you're, you're cutting something or sewing, whatever your your craft is. I mean, it's it's entertaining at first, but it wears you the hell out at yeah. the, at, after you do it for a period of time. And and I said, you know what, this isn't really working. So maybe I can go figure out what this internet thing is, you know, because you know, for context, this is late 90s. Internet was just starting to become more accessible to people and I didn't even get to see what the internet was until I was in college in the mid nineties. So I realized like, Hey, this is like a opening up the entire world and business started to really make a little bit different sense to me. I was like, wow, I thought that I would never be able to own a business because in my small town, it meant that you had a storefront on main street with your last name on the window, right? Yes. Watley's plumbing or Watley's garage. Or, so I was like, man, I don't have any money. And it, looks like you got to have some kind of money to start one of those businesses. I don't have that. So I'm never going to be a business owner. So I just, I don't think it's possible. But with the internet, I started thinking about, I can sell stuff on the internet. I can do things to create profit on the internet and the entire world, not just my small town, but the entire world could be my potential customer base. Are you kidding me? So, so what, what I need to do to play this game? 
how do I get into this game? So I, I started buying books. I actually still got the book back there on my shelf that I bought. And people ask me, what's the book that changed your life? They're expecting some big title. I was like, dude, it was how to code HTML and build websites. So like the early version, you know, and <laughs> some boring ass book that I bought at the store just to teach myself how to build web pages. Uh-huh. And I would practice, I'd get home from work and I would read the book. I would do a chapter and I would do the exercises and I'd practice on my computer. And I was like, oh, cool. It's starting to look like a web page. And then I taught myself Photoshop. And I learned a little bit of rudimentary photography to try to enhance that. And I started building web pages and that became my first side hustle. I was still working the engineering job. And I realized that the, a lot of these automotive shops and manufacturers of parts didn't have websites at the time. And I started calling them because they didn't have websites. I had to call them and say, hey, I know you don't have a website. I've got this Pontiac Trans Am and I would love to have a set of your exhaust headers. How about I build a website for you and you just trade me some parts? So it started out as a barter. Mm-hmm. You know, I started getting all these free parts by just spending a couple of times building these websites. And then soon enough, I didn't need any more parts. So I started just charging for my time and building those websites. And then I started a company called ls1tech.com in 2001. And it grew into the largest General Motors community on the internet. And to this day, it's still the largest General Motors performance community on the internet. Wow. So we had Cadillac and Chevrolet and Pontiac, all of them eventually became advertisers on that. That grew to over 300,000 registered members. I said, okay, that's pretty cool. We grew that and we started another one called performancetrucks.net for the guys that like to race their trucks. You know, that's a segment. So, okay, cool. That one grew to over 280,000 registered members. And both of them became seven figure businesses from advertising revenue because we were having over 100,000 people per day visiting each of those websites. And to give you a context of that, going back to the, the small business on Main Street, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine what that would look like if you had 100,000 people walk through your front door every single day. <laughs> it looks like burnout to me. You wouldn't even be able to maintain that. No. And that's that's where the scalability and the fascination of internet became for me. It's like, man, I can build something that's open 24-7, gives people value, entertainment, a user experience, and I get to monetize them for just being present. Like, this is amazing. Mm. Man, that is so crazy, man. And, and, and as I'm listening to you, one word comes to mind, resourcefulness. You know, like you were hyper resourceful when it came to seeing and being able to visualize an opportunity and you seize the opportunity. You know, you were hungry for creating a reality that you knew you had the potential to because the resources were already there. You know, I think that says a lot about, again, about your character and how you've shown up and been able to build, you know, multiple seven figure businesses, even being able to scale in your life to create the life that you truly wanted so you could be where you want it to be. You know, and so all of you guys out in podcast land, I need you to really pay attention to this. I really need you to hear what he is saying to you because I've said it before. If you want it, you got to ask that question. How bad do I really want and I think a lot of people in today's society because now everything comes quick and easy you know everything is right in, in your face people are walking around with computers in the palm of their hand with internet on it and they're broke and I'm like how it doesn't even make sense I mean back when when internet was wasn't really a big, oh, as big of a thing as it is now you were making seven figures like you were building big business and now it's easier than ever you know and that makes me think about you know, when I started speaking, when I started coaching, you know, back when I started, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, none of that stuff exists. I, MySpace was just starting out and it was cool, you know, but at the end of the day, 
in order for me to get to where I, I got and in and, and, and the circles that I in, ended up in, I had to be vetted. You know, I had to go out there. I had to beat the pavement. I had to go to events. I had to like there was so much work I had to do. And now people can just create a Facebook or an Instagram and they take it for granted just how much of a money mind or gold mine these apps are for them, especially when starting a business online, you know, and that's just insane to me that you built two seven figure businesses at a time where most people just saw the internet as, you know, an encyclopedia, like a place they could go just to get information. You know, you brought it to other businesses like, hey, you don't have a website, you know, but it's because you knew the value of it. You knew the value of it and what it would bring to businesses and you're an amazing communicator. So you can paint a really vivid picture for people of how this is going to benefit them, you know, and you do that in all of your businesses, you know, but uh, yeah, that's just crazy to me. But I just hear resourcefulness. You were so resourceful and you were hungry. You were hungry for your desired result, but it didn't stop there. You kept moving. You kept building. Now here you are. You've developed. You know, you, you've kind of exited at this point, the corporate space and, oh, you're still working corporate while I'm still, still working. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm still working. So I worked, did- I worked another 10 years uh, or so after that. Wow. And yeah, there, there's a reason dude. And I know why now, because, you know, for context of my mom, Japanese woman in her era, baby boomer era for those listeners. She valued education because she didn't get to have that. Mm. When you're when you're a woman in Japan and that age demographic, they would go through junior high level education and basically would get plucked out and they would go work in the farms. And so the boys got to continue through high school and you know education levels and the university. So she always wanted to have that. She didn't have that. So she made sure that my sister and I got that. Mm. And I value education just like I value books. Like I don't throw books away. Like I value knowledge and education just like she did. She's instilled that in me and. Here I am with an engineering degree that I struggled to go through school to pay for. And I didn't want to waste, you know, air quotes, waste my degree. And I hope that really hits some of the listeners here that think about that. Like they're probably working somebody else's career that was a vision for someone, someone else's dream. Maybe your parents' dream for you, or maybe it was a family legacy. Oh, your brother and your uncle and your grandfather are all doctors. So you got to be a doctor too. And you go, okay, cool. And you do it and you, you're good at it and you're highly compensated at it, but you don't like what you're doing and you're miserable. And you're depressed because something's not aligning with what's inside you, what's your potential. That's how I always felt. I was very good at engineering and project management. And, and I was managing some big, big projects between 200 to $500 million projects working for major oil companies as a staff. Mm-hmm. And I still had these side businesses that were earning more. So here I am like, you know, at that point of starting the business about a, about a year into that first business, I was making maybe $10,000 a month. That was more than my career salary. It was over double what I was earning. And a lot of people would always ask me like, why are you, Why don't you quit? Why don't you quit? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, I was already number one in the market of that, that segment. So me adding one hour a day or eight hours a day wasn't going to improve my standing. I was always no, already number one. I was top of the heap. Everybody's trying to take my company down, right? Mm-hmm. Had a bunch of copycats trying to do things and they just couldn't do it as good. So I hired staff and I made sure we had processes and systems in place. We were able to scale that. And the thing is that I didn't have to be present anymore. After about three years into that business, I got to use it as a user, which is good for me because I got to see it as a user and find what annoys me about it and what I can improve about it and, and, and enhance the user experience. You know, internet was just growing. We had the things learning about server and speed and 
delivery and making sure that graphics weren't overloading the screen. There's a lot of you know, analytical things we we're looking at, mm-hmm. but I always want to make sure that if I was a visitor, that people enjoyed that experience. And so I never really wanted to leave my corporate job because that I didn't want to waste my degree because I could hear my mom. I can still hear to this day. Guys, I sold that company for millions of dollars in 2007. And my mom still to this day asked me if I'm still looking at job and if I'm going to use my degree. <laughs> wow. See, so some of you out there are going to relate to this. You're going to, you're, you're going to be like, man, you're right, Tony. I'm not happy being an attorney. Why, why did I become an attorney? And you're in your mid thirties and you go, damn, this, I can't walk away. I've, I've already invested all this time and this degree. It's a sunk cost fallacy. Mm-hmm. You know what this is. I know what this is. It's a, it's a cost. You invested that time and the expenses to attain what you have, but it's a sunk cost. Whether you quit today or you go forward using that degree, the cost is the same. Like you're not, you've already invested the time and the money. It's a sunk cost. It's, it's behind you. Mm-hmm. You can't take away your education, your experience. So maybe it's not a bad investment, but you got to quit thinking that everything's a waste. Like, cause evolved mastery. I mean, come on guys, we're here to evolve. Yeah. And if you're not evolving, if you're asking yourself, if you're the same person you were five years ago, or even one year ago, and you say yes, and you're in the same position, the same income level, the same friends, the same unhealthy relationships or, or behaviors, you got to ask yourself, like, when is enough enough? When am I going to be able to move out of this? When am I going to truly evolve? And sometimes that means literally burning the boats and doing something completely different that aligns with you, not fulfilling somebody else's dream for you. Yeah. So, dude, it, it stuck me around and I'm very competitive and I excelled in the corporate space. And I was on the executive path and I was working right under vice president level at some of these large companies. And even then I started realizing that it was all just playing, uh, you know, the, the musical chairs type thing. When somebody leave that, that cubicle, you move into that cubicle and, you know, hopefully the music doesn't stop and you're left without a cubicle. Right. So that's kind of how it starts to happen. And I got tired of being told that I had to wait my turn or pay my dues or you're too young or, you know, in my, in my 20s and early 30s, you hear that a lot in your, your professional career. And I'm looking at these people that are my supervisors and my supervisor's supervisor. And I'm thinking, man, I could run circles literally around this person, not being cocky because I have the results. I could run circles around yeah. this person. But I'm told that, you know, well, you'll get that spot in three years and then you'll get that other spot in 10 years. And I'm thinking, why do I got to wait if I can do that now? And so the entrepreneurship, the business, the external things was a way for me to have a creative outlet to go explore those things and make some decisions and take some risks and learn things about finance and risk mitigation and all these different things. So I needed a creative outlet because I wasn't getting it in my corporate job. So if you're listening to this and you're not getting that outlet, go create it. Wow, man, you are dropping some bombs today, brother. But I didn't expect anything less from you. You know, as I'm listening to you, man, I'm I'm getting to know Tony at a different level, you know, because we've had conversations and we've shared some rooms on Clubhouse. You know, that's initially how we connected, you know, and it's like every time I hear you speak, like I have chills right now, but every time I hear you speak, I get a, a deeper glimpse into how you're wired. And I'm listening to you talk, man, and it's no wonder you're you're so successful at what you do and the impact that you have, because th- you can't fake what you've developed. You can't fake what you've embodied, you know, and so you not only saw your potential and evolved into a deeper level of that potential, you stepped into your power 
to create, to manifest whatever you want it at will. And I think this is something that, you know, we could dive a little bit deeper into is the power to create at will, because I think a lot of people, you know, they'll say, oh, I know I'm powerful. I'm my own life creator. I create my own reality. But, you know, they don't truly believe it in their heart. It's like it's something that they say because it's popular to say now, but you really took it to another level, you know, and you said, you know what, if I see that this is possible, then the only thing stopping me from achieving this level of experience in my life is simply me doing the work, you know, and this again goes back to the question, how bad do you really want it to everybody listening? You know, it's easy to make excuses when you don't have an example of what's possible. But when you have different people like myself, like yourself, and so many others who've done it and without the resources that we currently have, who've shown up in a way that, you know, it proves that if you just do the work, if you show up and you give your life something to work with, you give God, source, universe, whatever pronoun you use, something to work with, it's going to work for you. But you have to show up if you want the stuff to show up, you know? And so I want to start diving into, because I know I only have you for a short period of time. You know, now you have, you know, you've grown from that point, you know, you transitioned, you know, growing multiple businesses, selling multiple businesses. And now you have your brand 365driven.com. And also guys, he has an amazing, amazing podcast. You guys have to check out the 365 Driven podcast. Um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about 365 Driven, where that was birthed and you know what, what does that encapsulate? Yeah, the thing is that, I appreciate all those nice words, first of all. I just wanna acknowledge you, man. I love your energy, dude. And we can feed off of this back and forth all day. This could literally go on a, as a marathon podcast if we were to allow that, but you know, for time constraints. But here's guys, is I did successful in my corporate career. I was making multiple six figures. I was doing very well in both regards in entrepreneurship. I started some other businesses along the way that I've owned for over a decade now. And people kept coming to me for advice, Princeton. They kept coming to me to ask, like, how did you start this business? How did you grow this business? How did you sell this business? And I've helped 12 of my former staff members become millionaires by helping them build seven through nine figure businesses over the last 20 years. So I had demonstrable results over and over and over. And I had a very comfortable life. I was financially successful. I was on a corporate executive track, had, had a son, married. I, I had all the, the, what I would say is convenient excuses not to do what I'm doing today. Because although I had evidence of people asking me this stuff and telling me I should be doing this full time. The truth was that I didn't have the confidence to be in front of cameras or stand on stage or be in videos or do anything like that. I didn't put myself out there. I had childhood bullies. I had, I've got a skin condition where I've covered with white spots called vitiligo. I mean, Michael Jackson had it. It's very popular. People hear about it. So I got made fun of when I was young. So I just kind of hid in the shadows and did things competitively, but I, I was never the front man. You know, I was doing things in a big way, but I, I hid behind the logo of the company or what I was building and just performed in the background. Mm -hmm. And so you asked me where it pivoted and what occurred, but well, that happened in 2015. I'm a car guy. You guys heard that I like to race cars. I used to be a contributing editor for magazines, automotive magazines, and write you know, track results and testing things and how-tos and featured car articles. And I was out of track in late 2015 and it was at the drag strip and there was a shop there that was trying to set a new quarter mile record in a Dodge Viper. It was highly modified, about a thousand horsepower at the wheels. I've got, I've got a couple of those myself and I've had a lot of seat time in those. So I said, yeah, they threw me the keys and said, Hey, we need you to go get a number. Can you do this? I was like, absolutely. I'll be helping you out. And why not? I can go get the record and drive someone else's 
experimental car at the same time. I mean, I'm an adrenaline junkie, like sign me up. And, mm-hmm. and everything was going, dude, dude, everything was going well on that pass mm-hmm. until about the top of third gear. And the car started getting a little bit out of line, but I'm used to that thousand horsepower. I mean, you're, you're going to get cars a little bit out of line and you just kind of get over that. You try to steer it and keep it straight. But for some reason, that car was just pulling to the right and I was getting closer and closer to the right side wall, that lane I was in. And, and I try to keep that thing off the wall, man. And, and soon enough, it just starts grazing the wall. And I'm thinking like, I, I was angry at myself. I was really disappointed in myself because I was trusted with that vehicle. It's expensive. And now I'm damaging the side of the car. But, you know, thinking that the worst is over, I could just slow down and come back off the wall and it'd be over with. Right. And so if that's the worst it is big deal. But here's the thing is, I, as I started to come off of the wall, the car decided to take a hard left. And I was steering straight. The car decided it's, it's going to turn left. Well, the reason is because when the rear wheel, the suspension in the right rear had broken, and I didn't know why that was the reason the car was pulling. Mm-hmm. But when I came off the wall, that wheel kicked out like backwards, like pushing a shopping cart the wrong way. And it decided to steer for me. So now I'm looking at the concrete wall in the left-hand lane and a two-door sports car at 130 miles per hour. And in that moment, I thought, this is it. And I even said to myself, and I could still hear myself saying this, I said, well, here I go. Mm-hmm. And the strangest thing occurred is that it felt like a forever, like an eternity, that, that moment of time. And it was probably milliseconds at that speed. But I just remember approaching the wall and I just shut my eyes right before impact. And I felt an overwhelming sense of peacefulness. Mm-hmm. I didn't have fear. I wasn't screaming. I, was, I didn't have any regrets. My life didn't flash before my eyes and any of that. It was just, I just felt warm and peacefulness. And it was just, well, here I go. If this is the way I go. This is the way I go. And I love doing what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. And of course the impact happens and glass is shattering and I, and the lights are going on and off because it's dark at that end of the track. And I just remember all the noises of the car coming apart and I heard the engine was making this really roaring sound like this, like it had come loose and, you know, the carbon fiber and aluminum and all these things just being torn to pieces. And I was just, I just focused on being awake because I, I hit the impact and I saw the airbags deploy. The cabin was kind of filled with that white smoke from the airbags and, and a lot of racket. I just remembered, I don't know if I'm injured at this point, but I'm awake. And I know that most people don't die from the impact. They die from a fire because transmission fluid, brake fluid, gasoline, oil, all of those are flammable. And all it takes is a little of those to spill out and a, one spark and you're in a fireball. And I just, thought, Hey, I got to get out of this car. I need to get out. As soon as it comes to a stop, it's sliding. I need to get out. So I just said, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. I had my eyes shut and it finally came to a stop and I had to pry that door open because I hit that side and I got out and I, I was just standing there. I didn't know if I was injured or not. And I took my helmet off and I'm looking at the wreckage and there's literally wheels off of this car. Every panel of this car is damaged. The front end's caved into the windshield and I could hear the paramedics driving up in the ambulance from the far end of the track. I could hear my friends sprinting up the quarter mile shouting because I couldn't see what was going on. I could hear four wheelers approaching and I was just calm and I was just sitting there looking at the wreckage and, and just thinking to myself and they put me in the back of the ambulance, Preston, and checked me out and you know, I took my shirt off and was looking around for injuries and was asking me questions to see if I had a concussion. And at the end of the inspection, the, the nurse, she said, Hey, do you mind if I tell you something unusual? And I was like, oh man, here it goes. Like, is she going to tell me what's injured or what she found? Like I, I was thinking the worst, right? Yeah. And she says, I just wanted to point out you're remarkably calm for someone who's had a major accident. 
people crash out here all the time. They usually have the adrenaline shakes, the cold sweats, the, their shortness of breath, the elevated heart rate, like all the symptoms of just fear and adrenaline, things like that. And and she goes, you are remarkably calm, like your heart rate's resting and everything. And, I, and I'm, I'm sitting in the back of the ambulance looking at the wreckage still, you know, and I was calm and it was just as calm as when I approached that wall, yeah. just as calm. And I said, I am calm. And I had to think about this probably for the next few weeks. Why was I calm in, in that moment? And what it was, it was a series of questions that was going through my mind. The first one, I'm looking at the wreckage and says, why am I still here? Like I could have died tonight. Like, why am I still here? Is there, is there a reason or is there a bigger reason? Or what does that mean? You know, why am I still here? The next one is, well, if I would have died, how would people remember me? Mm. And then you start thinking about your friends or family that had recently passed away or people that passed away racing or in your circles. Like, how, how would you be remembered if you would have died tonight? Man, that one, that one stings a little bit because I would have been remembered as nice, rich guy with cool cars. And as someone who's really always tried to push themselves to do more, that, that was very superficial, right? It was me hiding, not being comfortable about sharing my message with the world and just teaching my friends things. So if you didn't know me personally, you didn't get the benefits of what I knew, right? Yeah. So, and then I just started to think about that, like, how would I be remembered? And if that was the answer, then it told me that that's not enough. Like, I need to go create more impact in this world. And I didn't know what that meant, dude. This was 2015. I left that corporate job. People thought I was crazy to, to not go back into that career. I mean, who walks away from 240000 a year and bonuses and all that time and the degree and all those things that you carry, you know, mm-hmm. who walks away from that? You know, crazy people or what, you know? And then I, I said, I'm going to go write a book in, in 2017. So I took the next two years picking up consulting gigs and just patchworking things, trying to figure out what it, what, I, what impact meant. I didn't want to go be a salary person anymore. Right. And I decided to write my book, The Side Hustle Millionaire. Mm. And even then, some of the friends that I know look now looking back, they weren't real friends. They would make fun of the things I was doing. And they'd say like, what do you want to be Tony Robbins? And I know you, you're associated with them. So they would say stuff like, because my name's Tony. I, I'm sorry, my name's the same name. Right. But <laughs> yeah. dude, I, I wrote that book, dude. And, and, um, yeah, that changed my life. That accident and then the book that, that came out two years later changed my life. And I had to evolve to become the right person to be able to carry the story that was in that book. Mm. Man, I tell you, you know, I've heard that story before. And every time I hear it, man, it, it sends like shockwave chills through my body because I, I remember that feeling, you know, from my own, you know, in my case, it wasn't a car, it was a gun, you know, trying to commit suicide. But when I hear your story, man, it's, I think there there's these special moments where we get those God winks, those moments where it's like, okay, like you, you flow from your brain most of your life. And then moments like that happen and it locks you into your soul and you begin to feel and see life completely different. And, you know, that's, I always tell people, those are those moments where it's almost like this massive awakening happens. And for the first time, you're looking at your life in a way you never have. And I know there's several people who are listening to this podcast right now, and you may have experienced this in your life. And maybe now you're trying to figure out what do I do next? You know, I want to live a life of significance because maybe you've been seeking success for so long. You know, and, you know, you've gotten to a certain point and now you feel like you're plateauing. You feel like you're just doing it just to do it, you know, but 
you know, when you transition, what happened and I feel happened with you is that you transitioned from this life of seeking success because you thought success would get you to a point where you would feel satisfied and then you would have this ultimate life that you wanted to live. And then boom, this situation happens and it pushes you into the space of realizing that no, success isn't really what I want. What I want is to live a life of significance, a life that speaks even when I'm gone, you know, and that's when all these other things started being birthed in your life, you know, and you had the book and, you know, following the book, you know, everything starts to transition even more and you just begin to live just a life of significance. And for everybody listening, you know, I, I recently had a podcast called success versus significance. And so many people seek su success, not realizing that if they live a life of su significance, success is going to follow. It's like the byproduct. You're going to reap what you sow. It's like Zig Ziglar. You help enough people get what they want. You'll always have what you want, you know, and I've been saying that so much lately, you know, but that's what you started doing. You started helping other people get to a level of significance in their own life. And by helping them create a life of significance, it created a life of success. So, you know, let's, let's dive into that a little bit, you know, with, you know, everything that you're doing now, how has that now evolved? Because you evolved into a state of significance. How has that evolved other areas of your life? You know, the, you nailed it. If you can help other people get what they want, you will get what you want. It's just, it's inevitable, but you have to be intentional about that. And there's even clues of going back to my previous businesses. Mm -hmm. When I built that massive community two of times, it was free for those users, but I made a lot of money because I helped these companies that were advertising with me earn a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So I was providing entertainment value and resourcefulness to the users who are using it for free, just like we use Facebook or Instagram mm -hmm. free, they make billions of dollars from us being there, right? Yeah. So I was providing to hundreds of thousands of people and my sponsors to be able to earn a lot. And as a result, I earned a lot. So that's a key that I, I like that you point that out because it's very important because I think in nowadays, too many people focus on me, 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 and what's in it for me. And I'm not even going to yeah. get out of bed unless they're paying me to do something. And you know, guys, if you want to become successful in your corporate career or entrepreneurship, you got to do more than you're paid to do. And then soon enough, you'll get paid more than what you're doing. See, this is really simple math, right? So that's what I did. I started thinking about how am I going to make real impact, for instance? It's like, what does that even mean? What's the meaning of life? I mean, all these deep questions. Like, you and I can have these conversations now because we've had to become the right people to have a comfort level to have those kind of conversations. But a few years ago, I didn't have that. I didn't understand that. Most people don't know what their purpose is. And unfortunately, some of you are probably listening and thinking, you know what your purpose is, but I already know what your answer is. Like, well, my purpose is to provide for my family. Mm -hmm. Guys, we all say that. That's, that's, not, that's not a real purpose. That's your duty. Yeah. <laughs> that's your duty. That ain't, that ain't a purpose. It may, it may here, here's the problem why that it's, it's an honorable response to a common question that when two people who aspire to do average things in life come across each other and go, Hey, what's your purpose? What's your meaning of life? Well, I'm just going to support my family. Usually that's where the conversation ends because that's like, that's the ultimate of honorable response. And you shouldn't challenge that or see that I can do more. You, you should not see more potential beyond me that I can see for myself. Right. And so Two average people will be like, oh, I'm just here for taking care of my family. And the other one will be like, yeah, man, me too. And then you kind of go your own ways. If you say that to Princeton or myself, we'll, we'll say, no, that's your duty. That's your responsibility. That ain't, that ain't your purpose. Your purpose is much bigger than mm -hmm. who's in your household 
or in who shares a last name or blood with you. Your purpose is much bigger. Your potential is much bigger. And I say this with context that I didn't believe that for a long time. You know, I didn't believe that. When I wrote my book, guys, I started admitting this probably about four months ago on interviews. And it's been three years. When I wrote my book, it was really the the cowardly way of getting what was in my head out to the masses. Because you heard me, I didn't like being on camera. I didn't like my voice recording. I didn't like being on stage. I didn't want to be in the spotlight. So I wrote this book thinking if I could just take what was in my mind, put it out there in this format, I might become some impactful person that no one still has to see or hear from, right? Like, you know, literally, because you and I could walk by a New York Times bestseller that's not a celebrity and we wouldn't recognize them yeah. unless they were a celebrity. And there's a lot of authors like that, right? So it was really a cowardly play because I knew that videos and stages and a podcast and all these things were actually way better avenues to amplify my impact, what I truly wanted to do. But I avoided that by writing the book. But here's how it comes back to punch you in the face. And it always does, right? <laughs> yes. Always. You, whatever you avoid always comes back to punch you in the face. Mm-hmm. So I'm writing this book and I've got an editor and I'm giving him a chapter at a time. And he's done a lot of books that became bestsellers. And he's like, man, this is really good content. I like how you're writing it. These, these tasks, these takeaways, you're teaching people how to start businesses. Like, cool. Thanks, man. I'm really putting a lot of effort to it. Glad you enjoy it. By, by chapter four now, he's, his tune has changed more positive. He's like, man, this book's going to do really well. And then he says it. People may want to interview you. You might be on TV. You might come be asked to speak or you might be on a radio. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I just wanted to write this book to, like, get it out there. And if it did good, great. If it did bad, okay. Like, big deal. I, I tried and I went home, right? Guys, I've been on TV. I've actually just signed a TV deal for Amazon Prime later this year. I've been on radio. I've hosted radio shows. I've been on over 350 podcasts as a guest. I've got over 200 episodes of my own show. I've been on stages with thousands of people in the audience. This is all in the last three and a half years. (laughs) Okay. And so I had to go become the right person. When, when he said that, I was like, I can't avoid this anymore. So what did I do? I said, I need to go get confidence and skills. Like if, if anybody can speak, the way you hear me speak now is not who I was three years ago. Mm. I had to learn this. This is a skill. I wasn't born this way. And I know you weren't born the way you were. You put the not time in, you had to get the lessons, you, you had mentors, people you admired, you learned from them. And I said, okay, what do I do? I go on Google, just like everybody. How do you solve anything? Go on Google and how do you become a better speaker? Well, it said join Toastmasters or a Rotary Club or hire a speaking coach. So I said, okay, there's a Toastmasters nearby. I'll join that and I'll hire a speaking coach too. And so I did that. I just checked the two boxes and then I just showed up and I raised my hand and I participated and said, if I'm going to be here, I'm not going to sit in the back of the room and, and pretend to participate. I'm going to push myself because I know it's uncomfortable because damn, I got a book coming out in a few months and I need to be ready just in case, just in case they asked me to interview. Guys, that book came out. It sold over a thousand copies in the first week. Hit number one on the business marketing category. Hit number 11 on all of personal development books on Amazon. <laughs> Literally all the big name authors that you've all read and I've all read and everybody's got a shelf full of books. My little self-published book, Side Hustle Millionaire, climbed all the way to that top of that heap. And I didn't spend a dime on marketing. I just basically wrote the book and everybody's like, damn, this is great. And they're telling their friends. So 
your world can change, but you have to become the right person to carry mm. that story. A lot of everybody's got a story. Everybody comes to you all the time. Hey, man, I got a story. Someday I'm going to write a book and I want to get on stage as president. Now teach me this. I want all, I want all, I got the story in something. And you're like, yeah, you know what? I, I agree. You have a story in you. Yeah. But are you the right person yet to carry that story? Are you mm. doing the work yet to carry that story? Why would someone listen to you until you've invested that time to become the right person? And guys, that is painful. <laughs> I made social media videos every single day for over a year because my Toastmasters meetings were once a week. And if I was lucky, I got to speak two minutes a week in that, that setting. It's like, well, I'm not going to get anywhere two minutes a week. I need to get some reps. How am I going to do that? I don't have stages. I don't have an audience. I don't have a following. I, I need to figure this out. So it's okay. I'll just use my phone. I'll video myself and I'll practice what they're teaching me on public speaking skills. And I'll just do it on video and I'll just practice for the week and I'll go to the next one. I'll learn something new and I'll practice that for the week. Right. And I did that for a year and it sucked. It sucked. I wasn't good and I knew I wasn't good, but I was doing the best that I could. I, guys, I, I would sit in my truck after my little gig. I had a little tie on because I was consulting. I would sit in my truck and put the phone on the holder and I would do videos. I would record myself, just some message. Maybe I heard something in a podcast or read a book that day. Some, some message short, like one to two minutes. Mm -hmm. I would take 10 takes because I just didn't feel comfortable. And I would finally do the one that was good enough. And I would just share that on Facebook or Instagram. I would just share it. And they're still out there. I show people those all the time. But to give you an idea of how uncomfortable I was, I'm sitting in my truck. And I'm doing these videos. And if I saw somebody walk, walk by like two rows away, like not even near me, if I just saw another human, I would turn, <laughs> I would turn the camera off. I would turn the camera off. I've been there, brother. <laughs> so you can do this guys, but you can read all the books. You can watch all the Ted talks. You can do all that. But if you don't practice and actually put that work in, you will not improve. That's right. That is so powerful, man. You know, Tony, Tony Robbins always says, you know, that repetition is the mother of skill. You know, a lot of people talk about what they want. They talk about, you know, that desired result. You know, they they want to be successful at business. They want to be successful at communication. They want to be successful at impact. They want to be successful in all these different ways that they could potentially be successful. But what they don't do is show up every day consistently. They'll try it for a little while and, you know, they'll get some kickback from life or things will happen and then they stop and then they wonder why. Why is why are people like Tony or Princeton or are these other people being successful or creating this impact or showing up and the doors just seem to be magically opening up for them, you know, not realizing that we implement these practices every single day you know like you talked about putting your phone up on the dash in your in your in your truck you know i used to walk through my house every single day and i would imagine myself speaking to a coliseum of people and even now when i you hear my my energy and my vibration begin to change because i've embodied it to such a degree people hear me speak and they're like how do you show up like that all the time and and i tell them like listen man i am not perfect but i practiced daily it became like breathing to me. And so now it just comes out, you know, but I had those moments where, you know, I remember the first time I had to speak every other word out of my mouth prior to my life changing used to be a curse word. Like I, I didn't have the vernacular that I have now, you know, but yeah. I, I questioned myself. I questioned my ability to communicate. I even cried the first time I had to speak, you know, but I went out and I did it. And it was because my mentor told me, 
at the time. He said, Princeton, he said, you're listening to all these other people. You're watching at my time, you know, the Tonys and the Princetons, and you're watching these individuals who've been doing it for years and you're judging yourself, making yourself believe you're not good enough. But what you don't understand is that you have something that they don't have. And that's your story. That's the wisdom you've gained in the way that you've gained it. They will never be able to be you. You know, and so all we did was embrace the power of us, the power of our own story. And then the rest was just skill development, you know, and you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, you know, find a Toastmaster, get a mentor or a coach. I, I see so many people complain about where they want to be, you know, but they'll invest all this money into stuff that they don't need, that they can't move the needle on, but they won't invest in a mentor. <laughs> they won't invest in a coach, you know, and you are doing yourself a major disservice when you're not seeking people who've already been there and done that because those people are able to turn decades into days you know it took me almost two decades to get to this point in my journey and i always tell my clients or potential clients listen you're not paying me to talk to me you can pay a psychiatrist for that what you're paying for are the years of expertise that i've developed you're paying for the blood sweat and tears you're paying for the books read you're paying for the coaching i've invested in the events that i've invested in so that i can be great at what i do so that in half the time, if not even a quarter of the time, I can have a conversation with you. And in that one conversation, your life will not be the same once we're done. See, you've done the work and you've gotten to this point and you've always been so driven, you know, to get to that place. And man, you're right. We could go on and on forever and we're approaching the top of the hour, you know, but guys, listen, Tony is a wealth of wisdom. He has so much going on right now. And, you know, we could maybe I'll have to bring you back at a later time and get you on here again and we can dive into some other things. But, you know, if people wanted to reach out to you right now, you know, what, what's the best way that they could reach out and get in touch with you? Yeah, I appreciate that opportunity. My website is 365driven.com. So 365driven.com. And from there, you'll find my entrepreneurship community, which is 365driven. And I've got the best-selling book and all my social channels. They're easy, one place to find. Keep it, keep it easy and simple. Nice, nice. And guys, I will have that info in the bio or in the description, rather, of this podcast because, you know, you guys need to be reaching out to people. You know, I heard years ago, if you're the smartest person in your circle, you need to get a new circle. And I really started evaluating the conversations that I, I was having. It's like in the beginning of this talk today, you were talking about the friends who wanted you to come and hang out and wanted you to ride their bike, you know, but you were like, look, if I want to hang out, if I want to do these things that I enjoy doing with you guys, I got to step away from you. I got to go do some things right now that are uncomfortable, but they're going to get results, you know, and then I'll, I'll be able to have a bike. I'll be able to do the things that I really want to do so that I can truly enjoy my life. And, and that started early on as a kid, you know, but to everyone listening, when you think about where you are, who are you talking to? You know, how many days do you let go past where you're staying connected to a group of people who aren't moving the needle in their life? You know, they, they, they talk big, but their walk is very small. You know, start surrounding yourself with people who are walking big and talking big, people who are five to 10 steps ahead of you, people that can pour into you like Tony, like myself. You know, but I strongly encourage you guys, you guys know I celebrate the, the coaches and the speakers and the mentors that I bring onto this program because I vetted them and I know that what they do is changing the world and I know that they've personally done the work, you know, but, you know, if you don't go to anyone, I mean, if you don't come to me, you know, definitely check out Tony's stuff, man. There is a wealth of wisdom and like he said, a community there. 
that you can connect to that's going to drive you to be a stronger, wiser, more efficient version of yourself so that you can create the life that you have the potential power and purpose to create. Tony, man, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And I'm going to ask you one last question before you go. If you could give the listeners one tip or one piece of advice to move the needle today, what would it be? Stop caring about what other people think about you. Mm. Mm. I think too many people, we think about this, think about this, this scenario. Let's say you do live a, a ripe old age and you're on your deathbed and you're surrounded by your family and your friends and they know it's your time is ending. What are you going to think about when you regret? You're going to think about the things that you failed at? You tried and you failed? No, you're not going to regret those things. You're always going to think about the valuable experience that you gained from trying things that didn't work out. What you are going to regret is the things that you didn't try. And then you're going to think about why didn't I never do that thing that I always wanted to do or these things that I always wanted to do? Why did I not do that? And it's always going to come back to, I was worried about what other people would think about it if I failed. Most of us will say, I'm afraid of failure. I don't want to fail. That's BS, dude. We fail every single day. We go to the gym. We do reps. The last few reps, we fail. We eat a bad meal that week. We failed. Our shoelace comes untied. We failed. And we get over it pretty quick and we move on and we start progressing again. But we don't fear failure. We fear what people say about our failure. And if you need evidence of this, everybody can relate to this. This will get you a good laugh. When you're walking on the sidewalk, and you're just minding your own business. And there's always that stupid piece of sidewalk that's sticking up a little too tall and you catch your toe on it and you stumble and you almost, you almost face plant. What's the first thing that you do, Princeton? Uh, <laughs> look around to see if anybody saw. Boom. <laughs> Every single time we are so worried about what other people see in our failure. Mm. When you realize that, that, one thing is holding you back from your potential. You're afraid of what other people think. And here's the thing. I always teach the people in my community this. You will have critics. You will have naysayers. You will have haters. You have to go out and earn them because that is part of this game. And if you're making true impact, I want you to think about in your mind right now, who are the people who have historic value, who have changed this world? Every single one of them, every one of them, Jesus Christ included, mm-hmm had critics, naysayers, haters, and some cases, even murderers. So <laughs> right. What, what makes you think that you're going to be the one individual in the entire history of mankind that's going to have everybody like you? It's just impossible. So we always say this, go earn your haters because you're not going to have any haters or critics until you do something worth noticing. And when you do get those haters, bring them back to the group, screenshot that stuff and come celebrate the hate. That's right. Celebrate the hate. (laughs) I love that. That needs to be on a a t-shirt, Tony. (laughs) Celebrate the hate. If you're not doing something that's making people pay attention, then are you really doing anything at all? Because legacy makes people pay attention. Purpose makes people pay attention. Stepping into your power makes people who are playing it small pay attention. So don't let people who are playing it small, who are going to judge you, criticize you, critique you, and, 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 and really try to assess your character, keep you from being great. Because if they're paying attention, 
that's what you want. You want people paying attention because I can't tell you how many times I used to say, I remember, you know, before I got to work with Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi, you know, I remember when I first started seeing Dean and I was like, man, this guy's a fraud. Like there's no way anybody can be this freaking positive all the time. <laughs> you know, you know, it's commercials when he was flipping cars and then he started with the houses and, you know, it, it, you know, but then I got to work with him and he really is like that every single day. But at this point, I'm also like that, you know, but what started out as hate ended up being appreciation. And so I love that you just shared that, you know, create beyond the hate. It doesn't matter. Pay attention to the fact that somebody's paying attention to you in the same way that I was paying attention to Dean and making fun of him and saying nobody can be that positive before my life changed. And then my life changes and then he becomes a friend. He becomes somebody I can confide in, somebody that I can learn from. You know, a lot of the times the people that are hating on you are secretly loving what you're doing. They just don't believe that it's possible for them. But if they see you doing it consecutively and consistently enough, they'll eventually start to believe. So do the work, show up. Tony, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you for coming on this segment of Mastery 360. And I'm excited to see what happens moving forward. And I'm going to have to get you back on this podcast again, my friend. But thank you for joining me today. Hey, thanks for the opportunity, man. And I love your energy and the things that you're doing. And man, you are gifted with words. And we all know that now, but I know it wasn't without hard work. So man, keep doing what you're doing, brother. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And it definitely didn't come without hard work. Nothing does. Nothing does. No. All right, guys, those in podcast land, thank you for tuning into the Evolve Mastery podcast. I'm your host, Princeton Clark, and I've been sitting down with Tony Watley today. Make sure you guys read the description in, in, in under this podcast. And I want you guys to go click, get connected, follow Tony, share, share a message with him. Let him know you appreciate it. Something that he shared. If it spoke to you, I'll tell you right now, nothing flatters me more than knowing that I've impacted someone's life daily, you know? And so let us know, you know, what did you appreciate the, about this podcast? Reach out to Tony, let him know what you appreciated about what he shared. And we'll be coming back to you guys real soon. Stay tuned. I have another message following this interview, but uh, I love you guys. And I'll be tuning in again soon. Leave a rating, leave a review. If you're not subscribed, make sure you subscribe and we'll catch you guys on the flip side. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Mastery 360 on the Evolve Mastery Podcast. I'm so grateful for you guys, but I just wanted to make a couple of announcements. As you guys know, I've been revamping my personal website, and so I wanted to make sure you guys knew that it is now live in case you missed it in a previous episode. It is PrincetonClark.com. This is where you're going to find new online resources such as my six-week group mentorship program, as well as my Legacy Builders Elite mentorship program and monthly program where we have masterminds each month, access to a private community where we're going to grow and help you take your legacy to the next level, help you show up in a way that transforms your life and creates massive shifts in your life. But there's so much more on the way. So if you want to stay connected, follow me over on Instagram at Princeton Clark. Also, you can get in touch with me via any link on my Instagram bio and catch up with me. Let me know. Shoot me a DM. Let me know what you thought about this episode and uh, what are some topics you'd like to hear more on. Did this episode impact you in any way? And if so, how did it impact you? And what are you going to do moving forward? Guys, I appreciate you. I send you nothing but love as you step out into the world, shift gears, step into the most powerful version of yourself, and let's change your life as you change the world. I'll be talking to you guys again soon.